0: You're listening to Teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest, near Monument, and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Morning, everyone. We have a new soundboard. And so we will see how well it goes. The team back there is working diligently on it. Chad, do I need to move back a little bit? I'm hearing a little bit of feedback. OK, just the skosh. OK. Glad to be here with all of you. And I hope your January, which is almost over, I hope your January is going well. As you can see, our topic today is on servant leaders. And we're going to be studying out of the book of Exodus, chapter 18, as we continue in the sermon series on the book of Exodus. And I hope you have been enjoying Exodus. Sometimes we don't study these specific books because... It doesn't seem as exciting, perhaps even in our own personal time, uh, we can find it rather dull at times to read the law or to read certain books. But I hope you are finding that there's such wonderful uh, stories in here that teach us and guide us. As we see real people doing real things, even though it took place thousands of years ago, they're just like us. And so we're going to find that in chapter 18. What we really have here is a subject on leadership. And depending on where you're at in life, you may be a leader. You could be a leader in a business, or you could be a leader in some community function. You could be a leader in the church. Most likely, you're a leader in your family. And so all of us are servant leaders in one form or another. And so we're going to be discussing what servant leadership looks like out of Exodus chapter 18. And before we do that, why don't we go ahead and ask the Lord to be with us. Lord, I thank you that we can explore your Bible from beginning to end. There is so much information. There are times where it feels a little slow as we work through it. Other times it's fast-paced, but it's all enriching. It's all God-breathed. Uh, Every single aspect of it ties together well, and we really can use it for not just edification, but training and correcting and rebuking and righteousness. Lord, it guides us not only in how to be um, men and women, but also uh, husbands and wives, uh, mothers and fathers. It teaches us how to be employers and employees. It teaches us how to be good neighbors. So Lord, I pray that we make full use of your scripture. It is meant for us. Uh, Stories can be very rewarding as we understand it more and as we grow in faith. So as we study Exodus chapter 18, help us to understand what you have put into it so that we can not only change our lives by it, but we can also influence the world. And this is to your kingdom's glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a friend of mine, his name is Mike, actually I haven't seen him in years, he was my lay mentor in seminary. In the seminary I went to, I had a pastoral mentor, Pastor Ed, and then I had a lay mentor, Mike. And Mike was in his late 50s, and so he had experienced a lot of life. And so he was able to share with me a lot of his insights on what leadership is like, because in seminary they're grooming you to be a leader of a church. And so Mike had plenty of stories to share with me. And one story that he shared with me had to do with his own life and his own experience when he was enlisted in the Air Force. And so he was working on an an Air Force base, and he was a technician. Part of his job was to do the R&R, the repair and replacement of planes that would come in. So you would get a lot of planes come in. They needed work. And so there was a team of technicians who would do that. Every morning, the sergeant would get the work orders, and he would hand them out to the various people. Some people were more experienced on certain systems. Other people just had a certain capability and would allow them to do it. But this particular sergeant didn't like civilians. Now, on a base, you do have a lot of the enlisted and also officers, but you also have civilians. I'm a civilian. I sometimes go on the base to do work. happens quite a bit. But this particular sergeant didn't like civilians for whatever reason. And so there was one civilian there in Mike's crew, and his name was John. And John was about 60 years old. So the sergeant didn't like John because John was a civilian. And so when it came time to give out the work orders, the sergeant said, let me see those. He got the work orders. He took out the worst jobs. He handed them to John, and he said, I expect these to be done by the end of the day. Now, these were the worst jobs because they were the filthy jobs. There's parts of a plane that just get goopy and grimy and dirty. You have to pull off structure. You have to get in there. And you can tell when a person had that type of job because they would go into the break room or the lunch room. They would just be covered with stuff. But John never complained. He did his job. He did it well. And the other people around him really felt bad for him because he always got the dirty jobs, because the sergeant didn't like him. Man, John, can't you, can't you figure out a way around this? And John said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's the job I need to do. John definitely had a servant's heart in doing work that others didn't want to do. Well, around that time, a number of the retired um, officers were recalled back into active service, and John was retired military, But the sergeant didn't know that. So John comes back wearing a blue suit, which means he's an officer. His rank was colonel, which is right below general. Now, his job's going to be elsewhere. He's going to be in an office. But he went down to the shop where they do the repair work, and he said, let me see those orders. And the sergeant's there, and he leaped through them, and you know what he did. He took the grimy, worst jobs, and he looked at the sergeant and he said, I expect these to be done by the end of the day. Now, a story like that can sound sweet to us because it's revenge. I finally get revenge on somebody. But that wasn't John's perspective. John was a servant. He knew how to do the bad job without complaining, and he did it well. But he also knew how to be a leader. And sometimes leaders have to teach lessons, and the sergeant got a lesson. But John's whole attitude, his whole demeanor was one of a servant leader. I know how to do my work, and I know how to do it well. I don't complain when I have to do it. When I need to be a servant, I'll be a servant. When I need to be a leader, I'll be a leader. The whole idea of servant leadership is a rather difficult one to try to combine at times because it requires a lot of confidence, but it also requires a lot of humility. You don't want to be arrogant, but you do know that you have to be de- decisive. And so it's almost a teeter-totter effect of how well can I do this? And if you talk with leaders in industry or the corporate world or in churches, you realize it's not an easy position or a role to have, but it is a role that God requires us to do. And what I will say is that each one of us are servant leaders. I don't believe that God made us to be servants only. He certainly didn't make us only to be leaders. Pharaoh figured that one out. If you've been reading the story of Exodus with us, Pharaoh thought he was the leader and he never needed to be a servant. Well, God reversed that idea in his mind. He just wanted servants. He wanted slaves, and God told them. My people are not slaves anymore. In fact, my people will be leaders. So Pharaoh had to have a readjustment, and I don't know if he ever got there. But in Exodus 18, we're finding, or we're going to find, how Moses, who is the leader of the people, who's also a servant, needs a slight course correction on how to be a better leader. And one of the things with servant leadership is humility. Sometimes we need course corrections. Sometimes we need educated on how to be a better leader. And Moses gets that. There's going to be facets of the story that we're going to walk through that show us how to be better servant leaders. Now, before we dive into Exodus 18, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 to talk about servant leadership from an elder perspective. This is a church. We're Christians. We have elders. We have a pastor. And I want to look at this list first because there's going to be definite ties between this list and what we read in Exodus 18. So in First Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, giving him advice, suggestions, recommendations, even commands on how to select certain people to fill the job of church leadership. And this is what he says. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This is a list that we often go to when we have to select elders. This list, as well as what we read in Titus chapter 1, those two lists are how we know what an elder should look like. And really, what we're looking for is a person who already has those capabilities, not a person who needs to be groomed with those capabilities. We're looking for a person who already has those because that person is able to take care of God's church. So we are looking for people... When we select elders and when we select leaders, who can lead with confidence but are also humble. And as we read the list, we see that these are good qualities for everybody to have. It would be great if corporate leaders had some of these qualities. Sometimes they don't, and sometimes they get too big for their britches. But if a leader really has these qualities, that is a good thing. It means that the leader has a concern and a care, not just for people, but for the mission or the objective or the product they're trying to build. These are good qualities that I see as more universal, which is why it's possible to make a correspondence between this list and Exodus chapter 18. So we're going to keep this list in mind, and I'm going to refer to it every now and again as we step through Exodus 18 and the story of Moses and Jethro. Now, if you're not familiar with the name Jethro, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And we met up with Jethro early in the book of Exodus because Moses is tending sheep in Midian next to the mountain of God before God calls Moses through the burning bush experience. And so last week, Pastor Mike talked about the Israelites traveling uh, and the Amalekites struck them. Uh, and killed off those who were lagging behind, and, and how God was telling Moses and the Israelites to deal with the Amalekites in years to come. And now we take a somewhat of a tangential storyline to that wilderness wandering, and we see a new system of legal jurisprudence on how Israel is to resolve disputes. And so it becomes very helpful to dive into this because we, we get more clarity on how they're supposed to function. And not only is it how they're supposed to function, we find that it's good for many nations to function this way. In fact, our system of jurisprudence is built in a structure very similar to this. So now I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then we're going to glean some aspects of servant leadership out of it, not only so that we understand the story better, but hopefully so that we can take into our own personal lives. So let me begin. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, and his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way. And how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and of Pharaoh who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro Moses' his father-in-law, brought the burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' his father-in-law in the presence of God. So stop there. So now we get some of the backstory. Jethro, he's the priest of Midian. He's a leader among this tribe. A lot like Moses as a leader of Israel, Jethro is a leader of the, the tribe or the, the group of Midian. And so he is hearing, in whatever way he's hearing, that God did something for the Israelites in Egypt. Something so significant that it came through whatever chain it did, and Jethro's hearing it. They didn't have internet. They didn't have newspapers. There was no TV. Most likely, they're hearing it through trade routes and people traveling. But news has reached Jethro, and he's hearing this information. Now, keep in mind, Jethro had sent Moses and his daughter and his sons into Egypt. He didn't really know if they were going to come back. After all, Moses was going to go head-to-head with Pharaoh, the leader of the entire nation. He has an army at his disposal was Pharaoh going to kill Moses and his daughter? In, in Jethro's case, would, would Pharaoh kill his son-in-law and his daughter and his grandsons? He didn't know. But now what he knows is that the Israelites are freed and his daughter and his grandsons are alive. He's hearing this information, and I'm sure he's very delighted to know that they are safe. Now Moses, in verse 2, sends his wife Zipporah away, as well as the two sons. When I have read that in the past, I thought, well, that doesn't sound very good. If I am interpreting this correctly, it sounds rather negative. But as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, well, I don't have to take it in the negative. I can take it in the positive. Maybe he's just sending them away because... These two nomadic groups are co-located such that the grandkids can see their grandfather after many, many months. Sephora can see your father again. We like to see family and sometimes spouses send the others, uh, their, their other spouse and, and the, the kids, uh, they send them so that they can visit family. And I'm going to take it that uh, type of interpretation. This can be viewed as positive. Moses is sending them there because they want to visit. In fact, very soon I'm about to send my wife and daughter up to Oregon because my in-laws aren't doing as well, and Marissa wants to go there uh, just to help out with their life transition. And so sending away isn't a bad thing. It can really be a positive thing. They want to see Jethro again. But the point here that I want to make is that Moses is taking care of his family. People don't travel, or people didn't travel by themselves back in that day. You never knew who was on the road. They're not driving, they're usually walking. And therefore you travel in groups. It sounds like it's only Zipporah and the two sons, but no, there are servants there as well. You would always travel in groups. That was the safe way to go about it. So Moses is sending them. He's sending them with a group of people and he knows to whom he's sending them and that is Jethro. There's only one other person other than Moses who loves his wife and as, as much as a person can and that is Jethro, the father. And so Moses is delivering his family into Jethro's hands, and Moses also knows that Jethro will either send them back in an appropriate way or bring them back himself. It is the quality of a servant leader to take care of our families. This is especially important in the church. Sometimes we have the feeling that Our church leaders need to serve everyone and the family comes later, but that really isn't the case. Our elders, our pastors need to manage their family. They need to serve their family too. And it's not just for elders or pastors, it's for missionaries, it's anyone who does service in a church. God's work is very important. But if we don't take care of our families, a lot of friction can happen in the family, and that can make it difficult, not only for them, but for everyone else. Moses is taking care of his family here. He knows to whom he's sending them. He knows he's going to get them back, and he's going to get them back in an appropriate way. So in this case, Jethro is coming back with the family because he's caring for his daughter, and he's caring for his grandsons. So Jethro... Uh, comes back with them, and he sends a word to Moses. And the word is, I'm coming to you. And you can see on the screen there that this is the first criteria of a servant leader. Servant leaders take care of their families. Very soon we're going we're to see ten of these uh, principles of what it means to be a servant leader, and this is the first. So now Moses sends word, to, or Jethro sends word to Moses that he's coming. Uh, And there's a good reason to do that. You never want to kind of spring your presence on somebody, even in today's world, will call and say, hey, I'm coming over, because you want somebody to uh, to prepare for you, whether it's a meal or a place to stay. And Jethro's doing the same thing. He's uh, showing respect for Moses by saying, I'm coming to you, and he's also expecting Moses to prepare uh, a place for him. It could be a tent, uh, prepare you know, meals for him. So it's, it's wise for Jethro to send the word to Moses. So Moses knows that Jethro is coming. Now in verse 7, what does Moses do? Moses goes out to meet Jethro. Moses could have just stayed in the tent, and when he heard that Jethro was coming, he could have said, oh, well, hey, that's nice. Yeah, just... Tell him to go find a tent out there. There's a lot of tents out there. Yeah, just you know, make yourself at home. But that wouldn't have shown respect. Moses actually leaves where wherever he's at. He goes out. He sees Jethro. He bows down, not in worship, but in honor. And then he kisses his father-in-law, as was the custom back then. And it's even the custom now in some cultures. Servant leaders show respect for others. Moses is showing respect for Jethro, in part because Jethro is the father-in-law, in part because Jethro is a leader among the Midianites. Servant leaders show respect for others. We never should get to a point where we think, I'm the leader, and everyone should do something for me, but neither do we want to think, well, I'm just a servant, and no one cares about me. Servant leaders blend both together. Moses is a leader of over two million people. Like I said before, he just went head-to-head with Pharaoh, and through God's power, he won. That could have made him a bit cocky, but it didn't. He understands that even though he's the leader, he has the staff that has done so much, God is on his side, he can still show respect, appropriate respect, to others. Because servant leaders show respect. It, not only mean, it means that not only do we show respect for others, but it makes us respectable. Others look at what we do and say, that's a person of respect. I can respect a person like that because that person is willing to show respect for others. And so Moses goes out, he greets Jethro, and then what does he do? He brings Jethro into the tent. This is a sign of hospitality. Now, if we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, what are some of the links that we can build up right away and just in these in these um, the set of verses? Well, the first one, taking care of the family, I, I mentioned that. Uh, in First Timothy 3, we read that the elder is the husband of one wife. That's taking care of your family. Multiple wives doesn't take care of the family. I remember talking with a missionary once. Uh, he was working in Cotevar, Africa. And there you could have a husband with two wives. And when I asked, I think his name was Rich Campbell. When I asked Rich, how does that work there? He says, well, it doesn't work. The wives are always pitted against each other. They always see each other as rivals. It doesn't work when you have multiple wives. You might think it does. It might sound great, but it isn't. Taking care of your family is that you are a one-woman type of man. It not only helps the wife, it helps the family. It helps the kids. It helps extended family. And so we see that principle in place in 1 Timothy 3. We see Moses here. He is a one-woman type of man. He has Zipporah as his wife. I talked about respect. Moses goes out and he respects Jethro. Do we find respect in First Timothy 3? Well, that was on the list. When we look at the list in uh, verse 2, Paul is telling Timothy, you have to choose someone who is respectable. Moses is showing respect. Moses is a man of uh, who has respect of others. And in fact, In Exodus 11, when the Israelites are still in Egypt, we read in Exodus 11, verse 3, Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Moses has a lot of respect, not only among his own people, but even among the Egyptians. What about hospitality? Moses is now bringing Jethro into the tent. The tent is cooler. There's servants in the tent. They'll wash the feet. They'll provide cool water for drinking. They'll make the meal. Is hospitality a qualification for being an elder? It certainly is. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, we read that word, hospitable. So there are definite links between what Paul is talking about, what elders have to be, and what we're reading in the story of a servant leader. Servant leaders take care of their families. They show respect for others. They think of others' comfort. How can I make you feel comfortable? There's whole teams of people in this church who do things behind the scenes to make you comfortable. You might not know it. You would know it if they're not doing it. But because they do it, you don't necessarily know it. They clean the bathrooms. They clean the church. They organize in such a way that it's comfortable. They Control the volume of the sound so I'm not screeching at you So, for your comfort. Uh, we have the ministry building over there, which is great. They poured a lot of money into it. It's a comfortable place to minister to kids. So there's a lot of comfort that we think about for you because servant leaders think about your comfort. How can we make this worship experience comfortable for you so that you can worship the Lord? So Moses is making this comfortable for Jethro. He brings him into the tent. And then Moses starts telling his father-in-law everything that the Lord did on their behalf. Now remember, there's no news sources out there. And there's no sources of entertainment like you and I have it. I have my phone here and I can watch a movie. I can watch television shows. I can check on my stock accounts. I can look at my calendar. I can find everything that's going on in the world on this crazy little device. But back then, there weren't devices like this. Where did you get your entertainment, your news? You got it from sitting down with someone and having a conversation. This is entertaining for Jethro, but not in that sensational type of entertaining. He wants the news. He wants the story. He wants to hear what God did. And he gets to hear it from the guy. The guy who was there. The guy with the staff. I think if I were Jethro, I would say, Moses, I've just cleared my calendar for the rest of the day. I want to hear everything. Don't leave out any details. You were the one who was there. You were standing before Pharaoh. You had the staff. Did you feel a a zine of uh, electricity when you plunged it into the Nile? How did that work? Tell me it all. He gets the play-by-play from Moses and he can do an instant replay. Wait a minute, Moses. I want to hear that again. Tell that to me again. So he's getting this story from Moses that must have been exciting to hear. Servant leaders, like Moses, praise God for God's work on their behalf. Moses is doing that. Moses is sharing with Jethro what God did. Now, it might not sound like praise. Oftentimes, you think of praise as exuberant prayer or worship music, and that is definitely praise, and it's an extremely important part of praise. But praise is also storytelling. This is what God did for me in my life. This is what I saw God do for us. That is as much praise as anything else, and that's what Moses is doing. He is praising God, and he does it in such a way that Jethro turns around in verse 9, and he praises God for what God did on other people's behalf, and that's the next principle here. Jethro wasn't there in Egypt, but he gets the story from Moses And now his heart is so overflowing that he says, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. I don't believe these are just words to make it sound good. I don't think he's whipped up in the excitement. He really believes this. Your God did something that no other God had ever done in the, in the, in the history of, of humanity. He toppled an, uh, an entire empire to rescue you. No God has ever done that prior to this, but even after this. So God really showed his power. Jethro recognizes it. And then he makes a sacrifice. He takes some of his own animals and he makes a sacrifice. And then all the leaders are gathered there in the tent. It's Moses. It's Jethro. It's Aaron. It's the elders of Israel. They're all there having a celebratory meal. Let us praise God for what God has done for us. Servant leaders praise their God. Now, I don't find this... I don't find a direct correspondence to anything in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I don't see anything in there that says that an elder, a qualification for an elder, is praising God, but I believe it's implied. We don't necessarily, we, we really don't, not hire, but select. We don't select elders if they aren't men who don't praise God. And as I mentioned, praising God can have different forms. Oftentimes it's just, what did God do for me? What did God do for this church? I remember talking with Rick Marchbank when we first came here a year and a half ago. Uh, That's when we were still in this room having the the, uh, potlucks. And Rick was describing for me everything that happened over the past few years and what happened in that building. And I think Scott Lamb was sharing some of that too. And I'm thinking, well, this is great, the way they're telling this story. God's really at work. Because you, as a church, took a step of faith, and you put a lot of money into that building, and then you said, okay, God, we, we renovated it. Now you have to bring the people. Well, kaboom, the people came, and there's all sorts of kids using the building, and there's a ladies' Bible study. They took a step of faith, and I'm hearing this thinking, praise God for this. God's really working. No, I didn't run around the sanctuary uh, jumping up and down. I guess it would have been okay. I may have scared you, Rick, if I did that. <laughs> but I could have done that, or I could have just said quietly, praise God for that. That is amazing. So we praise in different ways, but telling the story of what God has done and his faithfulness allows others to praise as well. <clears throat> Servant leaders praise God for what God does on our behalf and on behalf of others. So that's what Moses is doing. That's what Jethro is doing. They invite others into the tent. They're all celebrating. And now we come to the next part of Exodus. Exodus 18 uh, can be divided into two parts. This was the first part. Jethro comes, Moses greets him. The second part is Jethro's advice to Moses on how to be a better leader. Jethro has to be careful here because sometimes leaders don't like those. Um, sometimes we feel like I don't need advice. Who are you to give me advice? But servant leaders, godly servant leaders are also humble and they're willing to take the advice. And we're going to find that that happens. So let me start reading in verse 13 through verse 16. The next day Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses has a job to do. Just because Jethro showed up doesn't mean that Moses gets to take a holiday. Moses still has a job to do, and the job is to teach the people. These people came out of Egypt. Now, Egypt was polytheistic. They had certain laws uh, that were not God's laws. They weren't healthy. Uh, They had dietary ways of living that wouldn't have helped the Israelites, The people have to be told what God expects from them and how to live rightly. And Moses is the person who has to do that. So Moses has a job to do. The next day, he goes out as a judge for the people. He sits, they stand around him, he listens, he gives them God's laws for them in that particular situation. But that is a tough job, to sit there all day, with people around you adjudicating their disputes. That would tire anybody out. It would tire the people out as they're trying to get their disputes resolved. But this is an aspect of servant leadership that we don't want to skip over. Servant leaders are responsible. Moses is going to find a better way to do it. Jethro is going to tell him. But he has a sense of duty. I have a job to do. I have to teach the people. I need to go out there and do the job. As difficult as it might be, it's my responsibility. Servant leaders are responsible. Now, if you're a leader, if you're a servant leader, whatever your responsibility is, is going to be your responsibility. I don't know what that is. Parent, grandparent, aunt and uncle, employer, neighbor, neighbor. Chances are it's many of those. Whatever your responsibilities are, the encouragement from the pulpit here, from God's word, is that you do that responsibility, that you do your duty, because servant leaders are responsible. And there's a lot of people who depend upon us to do the jobs that we do. So Moses goes out there. He sits, he listens. It's difficult work. Jethro observes. Notice what we read. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing? Why do you alone sit as judge? In this case, I'm now going to divert from Moses showing servant-leader qualities to Jethro, who's going to show servant-leader qualities. What does Jethro do? He observes. He watches what's going on. He observes carefully. And then when he can talk with Moses, he asks... What are you doing? There are people who don't necessarily do this. They'll observe, and then they'll start barking out recommendations. Hey, that's ridiculous. Hey, what are you doing there? You know, there's a better way to do this. I can't believe you're doing it this way. And it belittles you, and it makes you feel bad. You know, I'm trying my best to do the job I've been given, and now you're just criticizing me. I don't get that sense here. The sense I get is that Jethro is observing. He's watching. He's watching. And then when he can talk with Moses, instead of challenging, he collaborates. Moses, I see this going on. Can you tell me what's happening? Why do you do it? Why do you do it alone? And why do you do it from morning till evening? He wants answers, most likely because he wants to make sure his advice is timely and it's appropriate. Now, if Moses said, well, because God told me to do it exactly this way, then Jethro would have said, okay. Good enough for me. But Moses didn't say that. Moses said, God gave me the laws. Now I have to teach the people these laws. But there's some flexibility there on how this happens. And Jethro is going to give advice that will really help Moses and will help the people. So here's the next qualification. That servant leaders observe carefully and they ask good questions. Let me try to bring some application here. We have elders. They are our servant leaders, the pastor, the elders, the ministry leaders. So if you go up to one of them and say, hey, you know, this thing's going on and I don't quite understand and, you know, I think we need to do this, they might say, thank you for telling me. And then they won't give you an immediate answer. Why? Because they have to observe what's going on, what you told them, and they have to ask questions. It might mean going to somebody else and saying, okay, can you tell me what's going on from your perspective? You know, I need to observe this for a little bit longer. This is a complex issue. I don't know what's going on. I just heard about it. So I need to observe what's going on. Then I need to start asking questions so I I give the right judgment so I can talk with the other elders and we can make sure we do the right thing. This is where servant leadership really becomes difficult. We tend to be uh, immediate response type of people. Hey, I want this done right now. Because our culture is somewhat ingrained that into us. Hey, I click on this website and boink, all these images pop up and I can do all the things I do. But in a leadership position, whether it's in the church or in elsewhere, you sometimes have to take your time. I've got to get more information. I have to make sure I do this right. Otherwise, I'm going to screw it all up. Servant leaders observe carefully. Then they ask good questions. And that's exactly what Jethro is doing. So he asks the question, Moses answers, God gave me the law, I have to teach the people. So now that Jethro has the answers, Jethro is going to make the advice. Verse 17, let me read 17 through 23. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple case is they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands... You will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Jethro does a good thing here. He brings God into his advice. This isn't just Jethro's advice. He says, if God commands. He recognizes that Moses still has to go to God and see if this is the right way to do it. He gives his advice, but he also needs to let Moses know that God may have a different plan. So I really appreciate Jethro saying that because Jethro knows that his advice is just advice, but God really has to be with Moses if Moses is going to make this change in how they operate. And so... Jethro's advice is really rather simple, mainly because we operate that way ourselves. We have our local courts, we have our district courts, we have our court of appeals, and we have the Supreme Court. If I have a small civil dispute with a neighbor, do I go right to the Supreme Court? No. (laughs) Will I go to the court of appeals or the district courts? They won't even let me. I go to the local courts. Because they handle those small issues. But sometimes issues become so big that it rises up to the national level, even to the Supreme Court. Sometimes the Supreme Court kicks it back down to the lower courts, and it goes back and forth. But this is our system of jurisprudence. It's their system as well. But it also does something for Moses. It helps him to stand the strain of hearing all of these disputes. He's still involved because he's the leader, but he's involved at a top level. He doesn't need to sit there day in and day out and hear all of these things. There's other capable people involved who can help out. And this is the type of growth that we see in the church, but also outside of the church. We put somebody in an area of responsibility that's of a smaller responsibility, and we ask the question, will they be responsible in that? Will they be a good servant leader? If so, we tend to do the promotion uh, thing. We say, okay, they were were good here. Let's bring them up to the next level. Okay, they handled that well. Let's bring them up to the next level. We're looking at people who can handle disputes among ten people. But then there's a person over them who will handle disputes among 50 and then 100 and 1,000 all the way up to 2.5 million people. Now I've told you before it's hard for me not to do calculations when I preach. I'm really trying not to do that. But if you do the calculation there's a lot of judges here for the people. We're talking hundreds of thousands. That's a huge judiciary. But if They do this work of teaching the people God's law, which you also have as a population of people who know God's law. They will be able to act more appropriately. Disputes will become less. They will operate as a family. There will still be disputes, but they can be resolved quickly. Probably didn't happen that way, but what a great system and place for them to try to follow. Servant leaders not only observe carefully and ask good questions, but servant leaders teach God's word. And that's the next one up there. Moses has to teach the people. And then Moses has to instruct the people to teach other people. And so you're going to have this hierarchy of teaching. Do you find in 1 Timothy 3 as a qualification of an elder to teach? Yes, you do. The elder is able to teach. That's what it says. Elders know the word of God. They're able to share the word of God with others. Those others will be able to live that and share it with others. Their neighbors, their children. We will have a collection of people, the church, but also the community, who knows God's law because elders are able to teach. And then in verses 17 through 23, we see that Elders know that their work is a shared work. This is extremely important. Trying to be a lone ranger just doesn't work. Even the lone ranger had his sidekick. What was his name? Tonto, thank you. Even he had his his sidekick or his helper. And so, no work is to be an isolated work. It wears us out. We feel alone. We become a target for Satan our work has to be a shared work. Do you ever wonder why God gave kids two parents? Because parenting is tough. It's a shared work. Do you ever wonder why um, we have, in our corporations, a board of directors? I mean, you have the CEO, but that CEO is under a board of directors. Do you wonder why we have that? Because that work is a shared work. Why do we have a Board of Elders? Because that work is a shared work. Never are we supposed to do these things alone. And when I feel the most tense, it's usually when I feel like I'm alone. And all I have to do is reach out and say, Hey, can you help me? Oh, yeah, I can help you. And then suddenly all the fears and the angers just disperse. I fool myself at times. I'm thinking, Oh, I have to do this by myself. No, Scott, you're never supposed to do things by yourself. Work is a shared work. Jethro understood that. He shared that with Moses. And he told Moses how to go about it. And he also said, and may God be with you, or if God commands. So Jethro is also reaching out to the Lord. Lord, let Moses know if this is a good thing to follow. So elders know, or or, um, servant leaders know, that their work is a shared work. Where would we find this in 1 Timothy 3? Well, it's going to be another implication here, uh, but what we see throughout Scripture is that you always have a plurality of elders. Uh, Even before the institution of eldering was established, communities would have elders. It would be a group of men who would oversee the the town or the village to make judicial decisions. Mm -hmm. And then Paul works it into uh, 1 Timothy 3 when he tells Timothy to select capable men, to select elders. There's always this idea that there's more than one. And so not only does it work in churches, it works throughout the entire fabric of society. And now Moses has a decision to make. Do I take Jethro's advice or do I just do it the way I did it before? In this case, he takes Jethro's advice. Let me read verses 24 through 27. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned To his own country. In verses 24 through 26, we almost get this verbatim feel of what Jethro said. It's written down that Moses did exactly those things. And that's because servant leaders know how to implement good ideas. Moses is a very humble man. We get that from Numbers, the book of Numbers. He's a very humble man. But he's also a very tired man. I would be extremely tired if I did that job of sitting there day in and day out, morning through evening. When we tend to get desperate, we tend to take a good idea and we run with it. Moses runs with this idea. This is great. This is what we need to do. And he implements it exactly the way Jethro described it. Because the way Jethro described it was a perfect arrangement for them. Moses implements it. It's a great idea. They're simple cases. They decide those themselves. They go away satisfied. They now know God's law. The hardest cases work their way up to Moses. And in fact, we read that of a particular difficult case that worked its way all the way up to Moses. And Moses, what does he do? He turns around and he goes to God. God, what do we do here? God gives them the law. Moses shares that. And then they make a judgment. There's many aspects of servant leadership we want to follow. From 1 Timothy chapter 3, Exodus 18 gives us a great lineup of what servant leadership looks like from a practical level, from a man who really needed advice on how to do this. As I end this sermon, let me tell you one more story. And it comes from Paul Harvey, for those of you who have listened to Paul Harvey. I heard this story years ago. There was an older couple who lived in a covenant community. They were in their late 60s, so they were, they were up in years, and so their ability to do things uh, was limited, but they still loved to go out and take care of their yard. And because they were in a covenant community, the covenant rule said that you have to keep up the yard and the landscaping and the home in a certain way. And so they still had the energy and motivation to do that, and they loved doing it together. It was a shared work. But then the husband died. And of course the wife was grieving, but she had to work through all the paperwork, through the life transition. It was very difficult. And she just didn't think about all the things that she had to do to the home and the yard. And she got the letter from the covenant community. Your yard needs to be taken care of. Your home needs upkeep. You need to take care of these things. Well, it wasn't just a covenant leaders who recognized it It was a group of people in the in the neighborhood who also realized she needed help so they organized teams and on one weekend they went there they weeded the front yard and the backyard they did the maintenance items on the house and one person was so entrepreneurial that he went to a landscaping company in the area and said will you donate some of this rock to this older lady who lives in our neighborhood who really needs an upkeep on her home? And the landscaping company gave all this free rock that they picked up and decorated the house. Afterwards, the house looked beautiful. Now here's the rest of the story. The oldest member of that group was 14 years old. And the person who organized the entire thing was nine. Nine. You're never too young to be a servant leader, and you're never too old either. Let us ask the Lord how to be a good servant leader this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be servant leaders, no matter our age, no matter our function, no matter where we're at in life. Lord, you allow us to help others, and we do so with gladness. We have the list here from 1 Timothy 3. We have the story from Exodus Chapter 18, we can see how to be good servant leaders, how to respect others and be hospitable, how to love others, how to praise you, not only for what you do in our lives, but what you do in the lives of others, how to be responsible. Lord, there's so many good things that we can implement and do in our own hearts. So, Spirit, give us encouragement to do that this week, to find ways of being good servant leaders. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.